Hey watchers, today's episode features the work of American film auteur Wes Craven. With its eccentric visual style and creative storytelling, this film also showcases the legendary comedic talent of Bill Murray. Returning also is special guest indie filmmaker Alden Olmsted. So put on your red beanie and a speedo and get ready for a deep dive into 2004's comedy drama The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. By the way, do you, do you guys know how to say the one musician's name who does all the David Bowie songs? Sue Jorge. Sue Jorge. Okay. Yeah. I had to look it up. <laughs> I was literally trying to look that up like as we were all connecting and I was like, uh, right. like I didn't want to butcher that name just because like, he's, I know. Yeah. I know. It's so cool. Welcome to the Midnight Watch Podcast, the show where we discuss classic, cult, and modern classic movies. We're your hosts, Jeremy and Josh Baruto, and we review movies that are at least 10 years old. Fair warning, we're big on spoilers here, straight from the get-go. We rate these movies in four categories. Number one, the level of impact and success it had when it was released. Number two, how relevant is it today? Number three, our own personal enjoyment of this movie. And number four, is it a Midnight Watch? What is a Midnight Watch? It's a film which completely captures your attention, drawing you in. No matter what time or what part you start watching the movie, you have to finish it. Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Man, so we've been wanting to, to review this movie since we first talked about doing the podcast. And yeah, yeah we were going to gotta do it. And then we kept putting it off. And then, um, Josh, I think you and Alden were talking about it. And, like, and then, Alden, you wanted to jump on it. So then we waited until you were available this time. I think so. I was off uh, trying to find my own leopard shark. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then it was like, hey, let's talk about the life aquatic. <laughs> right. it, it worked out great. Well, thanks for coming back for the, the second run for this show. So, I mean, that's awesome. I'm excited for us to dive into this. Yeah. yeah. So right now um, I, I can go through a few notes and then we can do the, the synopsis and then just dive right into the the deep side sounds of the sea, if that sounds good. Okay. Yeah. This is directed by Wes Anderson. The screenplay is by Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach. The score is by Mark Mothersbaugh. And the budget was was $50 million. And then the box office, unfortunately, was only $34.8 million. So at the time, this was Wes Anderson's biggest film. And then this was technically a box office bomb, which is, yeah. as time went on, like this has become a very cult classic movie because all of Wes Anderson's movies are pretty much cult classic instantly but right this one I think well, was the, the I gotta I'm totally gonna get way ahead of myself like super super far ahead but when I saw this movie for the first time I was already a huge fan from the first three and I I thought it was amazing I loved it like right off the bat and I honestly I don't remember even hearing that it was a bomb and that no one liked it I think I was just so obsessed with it that <laughs> Right. I didn't realize till like yesterday when I was reading up some of the facts on it that it was complete, you know, bomb, like a dud. I was too. I thought everybody liked this movie and I was yeah. so surprised that it bombed. I was like, oh, okay. Because when I think of Wes Anderson, this is the first movie I think of because. Oh, is it? Yeah. It's, I think it's so, it's, it's so different looking than the rest of his films even. And, and the rest of his films all have different unique looks. Well, as we as we lead into the, the first time we saw this, I just was wondering, what's the you said, Jeremy, this is the first 
Wes Anderson movie you've seen? Of uh, actually, no. I think I saw the Royal Tenenbaums before this, and right. did not know what I was watching. So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, where is this movie going? <laughs> I'm with you, Jeremy. The first one I saw was Royal Tenenbaums, and I, um, I, I don't know. I think I just recognized people that were in it, and was like, oh, I like all those people. I'm gonna watch this movie, and yeah ended up loving it like this is such a weird awesome movie and then you know then of course i went back and watched bottle rocket and rushmore um but what about you alden what was what was your first introduction to wes anderson oh well i mean we could talk too way too long um i had a i had a friend um suddenly i only had one friend in northern california that was into film he went to uf uh usc or sorry uh ucsf san francisco Mm. film school and, you know, when you're in film school, you're supposed to like the films that nobody else likes. And <laughs> right. So, <laughs> and so, he, so I think somehow either he or, or me, we found Bottle Rocket, you know, around the same time when these other indie, I would call it the golden age of indie film, you know, Swingers, yeah. you know, Goodwill Hunting was around, um, you know, Brothers McMullen, Tarantino had just gotten started like this, this idea of, you know, being an indie film darling was like the coolest thing if you could swing it. Right. You know, this is before Napoleon Dynamite. So this was, so yeah, we found Bottle Rocket and we, and we, we did not love it. Um, (laughs) I mean, we, we just thought, what the heck is this? It's barely even a movie. Like they barely even anything happens, but then we watched it a second time and we started to notice the little tiny nuances of Owen's character and Luke's character. And we, and then we just became like all hands on deck, like, well, no pun intended with, with <laughs> music, but I mean, we just, we right. got so into bottle rocket. We loved it. And then when everyone came out, um, you know, when Rushmore came out, it was, it was, it was, I mean, I could talk way too long about Rushmore, but but I, I do remember, and it relates to Zisu, to, to Life Aquatic, um, Rushmore was so great for so many reasons, but it, it really did. Rushmore set a lot of the Wes Anderson-isms. It oh, absolutely. In, it set them in place. And then yeah. we see them, you know, in each. But, but the other thing it did is it, let's just be honest, it, it relaunched Bill Murray's career. Definitely. Yes. I mean, when he's, and I called, I was, we were in the theater. I don't remember what movie, but I remember when Bill Murray walks on that high dive with the Budweiser shorts and the sun, <laughs> I remember going, dude, Bill Murray's pretty cool. <laughs> and, and that's right. all I thought as a, as a fan. But, but then, because that was before he won the Oscar for Lost in Translation or right. nominated. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, and then he got on everyone's radar, but I think it was Wes Anderson that gave him a, a resurgence. And, and then obviously he got to do many more movies after that. But um, I, I, the only thing I will say is I, I do think I like, I fell in love with Bill Murray's character in Rushmore so much that yeah. the Life Aquatic, at least a little bit of a downer from the Rushmore is so much fun. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I get that. But that's just I, as the character. But yes, first time I, I became a fan of Bottle Rocket. We watched all of them. Um, I liked Tenenbaums. I thought Tenenbaums was a little more compartmentalized. Mm, whereas yes. Life Aquatic was, it is a little bit long. I will admit that. But it, you get to enjoy the whole journey. And yeah, it's, it's a total, it, it, it's yeah. a straight up adventure from, you know, yeah. it's a squad. They squad up. We have this mission. 
let's go. And then, you know, hijinks ensue. And then, you know, there's this kind of moral of a story even at the end. And so, yeah, it, it definitely was more of a linear uh, story compared to, to Ten of Bombs. Yeah, I could it's see the, that. The voyage of the Dawn Treader versus, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of funny, though. So when I saw Royal Tenant Bombs, I actually started watching it because I saw Ben Stiller was in it. So I was like, right. oh, I like Ben Stiller. He's funny. And I'm watching the movie and he is not funny in the movie. And <laughs> and I'm just like, what the heck's going on? This is a weird movie. And so I've only seen that movie once. So I actually had just found it on DVD at a thrift shop for a couple bucks. So I was like, nice. OK, I'm really excited about rewatching that. But yeah, Rushmore is actually, I think, the second Wes Anderson movie I saw. And that's mm-hmm. a movie I really liked Rushmore. So which I think I think that when I actually saw this movie, it was uh, probably in like 2010, honestly. So it was like way past. the. That's probably why I didn't oh, really? hear that the movie bombed at all. Yeah, I remember seeing stuff about it, but I remember the trailer specifically. The trailer was cut really well. Uh, you're right yes the trailer was cut really well and i think the only thing the only criticism i don't know what order you guys have your questions but my i think this is one of those where the music is so crazy strong yes and the visuals are so amazingly strong that i don't want to say it's easy to cut a trailer but it it lends itself to a the look of a fun trailer and the fact is the movie is a little bit long and it's got yeah. some moments that are kind of maybe could drag a little bit. I personally, I think it could have a few minutes less, but I, think I agree. Once, I think once Jeff Goldblum enters, I think the rest <laughs> of it is crazy strong from right yes. at that moment. Yes. And, and you realize how important it is with story structure that you need a, a good villain. And even though he's not, you know, the, he's not a, they don't get in a fist fight right He's such a good nemesis for him <laughs> yes. that you realize you you're, you start you you sit up and you start going oh well now we're gonna be interesting because jeff right is gonna he's just a loon and yeah. he's gonna start talking about well you know with uh with the math and the uh the thing <laughs> uh, he's just gonna start going crazy and right want to you know you want to see that and I don't know. It maybe I, I do think there's plenty of directors we could talk about who had a little bit of a rise to success, and then they were given a larger budget than maybe they needed. Mm, and right. I think that's the. I think I think Wes Anderson is perfectly suited for a lower budget. I mean, I know his his sets are crazy; they cost a lot of money. Right. But, right. But I think you know he's not blowing up a lot of things. There was the island scene, but the I don't know. I, th- I think this is a perfect example of not the sophomore jinx, but whatever that version is of you sure know, you, get, you get big enough and then you realize, eh, maybe I could have maybe I could have tamped it down a little bit. And it would have been tighter. Right. No, I agree. Yeah, it was. I've noticed. Um, and the last thing I'll say before I read the synopsis, but I noticed as I'm rewatching the movie for the umpteenth time, I'm like, wow, uh, it is my it is my favorite Wes Anderson movie, but at the same time, I really realized this is not his best movie. <laughs> right, and was, and yeah, and it was okay. I was okay with that because I I have an emotional attachment to it. I mean, I realized it came out the year that my older daughter Ryan was born, so I think there was just a lot of things that happened that just kind of make the the time period stick in my head too. And I remember conversations with people at work at the time, 
um, just being mesmerized by the music, especially um, uh, we were just talking about him, Sue Jorge, the guy that sings all the uh, acoustic versions of David Bowie song, Bowie songs in the film. Um, but yeah. there's musically this, this movie is phenomenal on so many le- levels. I, and realizing this is the first time I realized who Mike Mothersbaugh from, from Devo, who he was and what his impact was on uh, score writing for, you know, the, the Rugrats on up. I mean, the, the dude's brilliant in his own way. And uh, so there's a lot of things I liked about it, but yeah, just watching it kind of objectively to really review it. I'm just like, man, there, he has done so many other really just better movies. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I still love this one so much. I forgot. Um, Real quick, I forgot to read off the top cast, actually. Mm. So, um, yeah, so this is starring yeah, uh, Bill Murray, Kate Blanchett, Owen Wilson, Willem Dafoe, Angelica Houston. I, I actually, this is my favorite movie with Angelica Houston in it. She's just so freaking cool in this movie. <laughs> um, Jeff Goldblum, Michael Gambon, Bud Court, and Noah Baumbach. Yeah, right. Uh, I got to say just right now, though, my favorite character out of this entire movie is Willem Dafoe's character. Klaus. Oh, so good. <laughs> I, that's I mean, one of my... how many how many roles has Willem Dafoe done in a movie where you're like, that was terrible? I mean, that dude's like, yeah, he's, he's amazing. A, he's a, he's good in everything. I yeah, I think so. He elevates whatever he's in. I feel even if the movie's trash, I feel like he he uh, he makes it better. <laughs> I agree. I definitely agree. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go through the synopsis real quick, and then yeah, we'll just yeah. Like, jump right back in. And basically, Alden, after Josh does the synopsis. Then where it's kind of free range on talking about whatever you want to talk about the movie. And right. then then when we get to the point, we'll just wrap it up. So, yeah, uh, go ahead, Josh. All right. Uh, thank you, Wikipedia. Not a sponsor. Donate uh, to Wikipedia. While, donate to Wikipedia. While oceanographer Steve Zissou is working on his latest docu- uh, documentary at sea, his best friend and chief diver, Esteban Duplantier, is eaten by a 10-meter-long, luminescently-spotted creature Zissou describes as a jaguar shark. Fictional marine animals like the crayon ponyfish and sugar crab also appear as props throughout the film. For his next project, Zissou is determined to document the shark's destruction. The crew aboard Zissou's aging research vessel, the Belafonte, includes his estranged wife, Eleanor, chief strategist and financial backer, Pele dos Santos, a safety expert and Brazilian guitarist who sings David Bowie songs in Portuguese. Klaus Damler, the German first mate who views Zissou and Esteban as father figures. And minor crew members who include Vikram Ray, cameraman, Bobby Ogata, frogman, Vladimir Wolodarsky, physicist and soundtrack composer, Renzo Pietro, soundman, Anne-Marie Sakowitz, a script girl who's often seen topless, also included is a recent group of unpaid interns from the University of North Alaska. However, the team Zissou venture has hit a decline. They have not released a successful documentary in nine years. Ned Plimpton is a longtime Zissou fan whose mother has recently died, and he believes that Zissou is his father. After they meet at Zissou's latest premiere, Ned takes annual leave from his job as an airline pilot in Kentucky to join his crew. As Osiri Draculius, I think that was his name, Zissou's producer cannot find anyone to finance their latest documentary, so Ned offers his inheritance. Eleanor feels her husband is taking advantage of Ned and leaves. A pregnant reporter, Jane Winslet Richardson, comes to chronicle the voyage. Both Ned and Zissou are attracted to Jane, and a competition develops between them. Klaus becomes jealous of the attention Zissou pays to Ned. 
On their mission to find the Jaguar shark, the Belafonte steals tracking equipment from a remote station owned by a currently more successful oceanographer and Zissu's nemesis, Alistair Hennessy. Then they sail into unprotected waters and are attacked by Filipino pirates who steal Ned's money and kidnap, uh, kidnap Bill Ubel, a Bond Company stooge assigned to the project. They are then rescued by Hennessy and towed to Port of Patois. Uh, uh, Sakowitz, along with all but one of the interns, jumps ship once they reach port. Zissu persuades Eleanor to rejoin the Belafonte and then leads the crew on a rescue mission. They track Bill to an abandoned hotel on a remote island, saving him along with Hennessy, whom the pirates have also kidnapped. Ned and Zissu then make one last search for the shark in the ship's helicopter, but the aircraft malfunctions and they crash. Ned dies from his injuries and is buried at sea. Prior to Ned's death, Eleanor revealed to Jane that Zissu is sterile. Therefore, Ned could not have been his son. Zissu finally tracks down the shark in a submersible, but he decides not to kill it, both because of its beauty and not having any more dynamite. At the premiere of the finished documentary, which is dedicated to Ned, Zissu receives a standing ovation while waiting outside the theater for the premiere to finish. The crew returns triumphantly to the ship the next day. And that is that in a nutshell. So one thing um, I wanted to get, get this out of the way real quick, and then you guys can totally take over um, my hands down. Most memorable favorite part of the scene that I was waiting for until it finally happened is the, when they rush the Island and the music by Mark Martha's birds <laughs> kicks in, you see Vikram yeah. running. They all look freaking like cool, but like weird at the same time. And that song <laughs> yeah. is just like, awesome i love that when they're just running in there like the camera work it's there's a lot of action right there i mean there's not actually a lot of violence but just like a lot of movement versus a lot of the other shots it's more slow paced and yeah hands down that's my favorite part of the movie right there dude i I gotta agree i think that's also (laughs) the most memorable part for me and especially when when uh uh, Steve's issue like just opens up with his with his 45 just bam, 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 just firing <laughs> off as many rounds as possible like way more rounds than he's got in the gun and then it's he just, runs into the room while he's shooting right <laughs> just absolute chaos just <laughs> it's it's wonderful <laughs> right no it's true it is well I have I have two good questions yes um, I don't know if you want them now yeah no go okay. for it let's do it so we 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 um, and I guess we can list them. I, I wrote them down just in case. Um, but as we talked about this, this movie is is kind of the um, it's his fourth film, Wes Anderson's fourth film. But as we talked about before, it's it is a little bit of the pinnacle as far as he is Wes Anderson isms became mm-hmm. a thing. I don't know if you have you guys seen that book that that guy did about Wes Anderson? No, no. If, okay, if you're ever at a Barnes and Noble, it sounds like I'm talking about the old days. But if you're, <laughs> if you're ever at a Barnes and Noble, I mean, this thing is like, I don't even know anyone, even even Tom Petty, who I love. I don't know if I could make a book this thick, but it's like, wow. it's like three or four inches thick, and it and it, it's crazy. Probably it's probably like 16 pounds, and it's all about Wes Anderson. Every movie, visual style, it's thick, like magazine quality. It's just a crazy love book. Wow, you know? like a heavy but, like coffee table book. Yeah, it's a huge coffee table worship Wes Anderson book. But, <laughs> um, but you know, it's clear that Bottle Rocket, there's a few of the isms that he started. Rushmore, he started them more. 
Royal Tenenbaums and, and Life Aquatic, I think he really got his stride. Yes. So the first question is, of the Wes Anderson-isms, and I'm going to list them real quickly here, just a few of them. After I'm done listing them, you tell me which one is your favorite in Life Aquatic. Sure. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. So number one is got to be the strong visual element, and I think Life Aquatic wins hands down as far as the color palette is so... It, it's almost like another character in the movie. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know if you even remember when the python. Um, I mean, they pick him up in a yellow jeep, and then there's a guy eating a yellow banana with the blue shirts. Then the python is yellow. Everything. Yeah. I mean, he is like religiously adhered to this color palette of the red and the blue hat, and then the yellow. Like these, they're primary colors, but they're obviously they're a pastel, like a different version of the primary. But anyway. Yeah. So the strong visuals are definitely Wes Anderson-ism. We saw it in the Grand Budapest Hotel. Visuals yeah. are like a separate character. Yeah, right. Uh, number two is the uh, the smooth dolly shots, you know, that you get where there's multiple, you know, um, like a cutaway of a room. Yeah, the cross-section <laughs> shots, yeah. Um, that was done really well here. Everyone loves when he shows the ship and yeah. he does the smooth dolly a lot. Um, uh, when he does the, the ship cutaways at some point, they, it almost looks like a little model boat in a, like a bathtub, yeah. which is almost yeah. more fun. But he, but he did that a little bit in, um, did that a little bit in bottle rocket too. Um, he does the, he does do the fun diagrams. He loves having a fun diagram and then he cuts to, so he shows someone drawing it. Then he cuts to the diagram, filling the screen, not the normal shot of like somebody's hand drawing it he just cuts to you seeing a little bit napoleon dynamite ish and then you see yeah. the hand circle something silly um yeah. the other one is he, he he does this where there's like a in the foreground is a very iconic shot of like a, a, a person and then in the background there's almost more going on in the background that leads your eye to almost not even pay attention to the large right. head that's like right here <laughs> Right. Um, and then the last one that I wrote down was he does do the transition from regular frame rate into a high frame rate, slow motion. He mm, does yeah. it on Ryland. He does it. I still think in Rushmore, this was done better, but of the Wes Anderson isms, what is your, I think he are, uh, Jeremy already said the one on the Island that was his favorite, but, but what's your favorite Wes Anderson ism that was exploited in uh, or that we can see an example of in life aquatic. Well, I also, so I really like the color palette, like you were saying, like that's very vivid in this movie and is definitely a, a character. Cause like I wrote down, you could pause this movie at almost any time and it would just be a picture you could put up on the wall and it would be pretty yeah. awesome. Uh, but I also like, um, I don't know if this is an ism too, but like where he's, he's, he's got somebody framed in the middle and they do something. And like, for example, the one they have, they have Kate Blanchett, she's turns and waves and then the camera pulls back way back and it pulls past a bunch of different people. And so like, you didn't realize he was so zoomed in like 200 feet away. Right. Yeah. So I like yeah, that a lot true. too. No, that's an, I mean, you know what? He does that more in like Moonrise Kingdom, I think, but yeah. 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 No, that's um, a good one. I, I think for me, um, man, yeah, that the, his sets are amazing. Those old school 
um, soundstage style sets that he does. Um, and, and like you were just talking about in particular, the, the cross-section view of the ship and the different rooms and the, the slow pan through each room as he's describing what everything is. So I think that is, um, oh, man, I mean, it's hard to say it's, if it's my favorite, but I love it so much. And it is definitely one of those things that I think about when I think of Steve's issue. Um, but I do yeah. got to say the slow fl- fr- uh, frame rate, um, kind of rabbit trailing here a little bit, but in Darjeeling Limited, I think it was his next movie. Yeah. The, the train one in India, the scene at the beginning where they're running for the train yeah. and they're running yeah. along the platform yeah. and like, oh my gosh, like it's just beautiful. And then watching Adrian Brody and all of his lanky glory, just, just kind of <laughs> flowing like an Afghan hound, you know, or a giraffe running in slow motion with his clothes are flapping and everything. It's just, uh, but yeah, that is, that is definitely a, uh, a major ism of his as well. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that's a good one. I think for me, the favorite one, and I think it lends itself to this one just because it's a, it's, it's made to be like a, a doc within a movie of, uh, I think that having somebody standing in the foreground and then the text comes on the screen and then, oh, there's, yeah. <laughs> and then there's something totally crazy going on in the background. Yes. I just think, I just think it feels like the, the one thing I wrote down that is in- interesting is, um, and like I sent you that picture when I got to go to Monaco and I, and I got to see Jacques Cousteau's little yellow submarine. Yeah. It's, it's so strange that I don't know a lot of directors that would be able to make a movie like this without people accusing him of making fun of an iconic character and an iconic human like Jacques Cousteau is a beloved, is a beloved Marine biologist. And so to be able to make a movie that that totally mocks the whole thing, and yet, right. and yet no one, and yet no one would think that you're mocking Jacques exactly, right, right. And in fact, it's it's a weird kind of an homage, and yet it's in a sense of a humor that it seems like Jacques Cousteau would probably appreciate it if he were alive. I mean, it. So right. I think that I think that one probably gets overlooked, but I think West yeah. deserves a little bit of credit for that. Yeah, I think I don't think there's just that many movies like that in general that pull off, like you said, where you're mocking it, but it's an homage. I think Shaun of the Dead is a, a good example of making fun of the genre of the, the zombie genre and Dawn of the Dead in particular. But at the same time, it's it's, you know, it's a total, you know, respect thing. And it's an homage to this film style and this movie in particular. So, yeah, this it's very rare. I think that a, a director can or a writer can really capture that. That, this doesn't seem like it would fit, but yeah, when it's right. done right, it's amazing. Right. Yeah. No, I I definitely agree. I think though you're right, Alden. It does. You definitely do pick up on they're potentially making fun or mocking of this because he's a big fan of this stuff, and so like you kind of make right. fun of the person that or the the people that you real that you are close friends with. So that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, so- I wanted to ask too with going to the uh, the color palette and that sort of thing. Did you guys get kind of a vibe as I watched in the movie, it kept kind of popping in my head. And then especially when it, it, the culmination of them all in the submersible at the end of the movie, you know, down under, you know, looking at the Jaguar shark, but I was totally getting that Beatles uh, anime, you know, animated movie, yellow submarine. And it just felt like, was there some homage towards that a little bit, even just because of the psychedelic colors and, uh, it's a yellow submarine. I know it's Jacques Cousteau, but it just that made me think of that. I never really thought of that before. I didn't know if, it was, if that was intentional or if that was just me. <laughs> well, I know that I mean, Mark, I know that uh, Mark Mothersbaugh got into music because of the Beatles. 
So that huh. I don't. That's kind. Of, I doubt that. Though I think that's kind of a ridge. But <laughs> I, I think I think it's I think it's an easy one when you're. I mean, when you have a movie about a submarine, um, probably an easy one. But but you who knows? They they you know, they're pretty cultural culturally pop culture savvy. Um, yes. So there there could have been. I think the little, you know the. The little sugar crabs were, I mean, oh yeah, I mean, just crazy, just you know, complete craziness. Of, right. Of that. Well, I saw too I was, uh, that I guess this was the first of his movies where he included stop motion, and I think every movie since has is either has stop motion in it or he's done you know like Fantastic Mr. Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs where he did full yeah. feature length stop motion films. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if he did the the Beatles intentionally. I think I think when you're doing Jacques Cousteau, who already had a yellow submarine, it probably right probably was sort of it was an easy one. But, right. Um, but and I, the but Beatles, I agree with you the that. Beatles might have been pulling off of Jacques Cousteau too, because that was a famous. I mean, it's probably the most famous yellow submarine, other than the Beatles singing about one. So that's true. Right? Maybe it's just art, you know, imitating art inadvertently in some weird circle, right. but. And I thought, yeah, and then speaking of that ending shot, I thought that was my only, so it's like, if I watch the movie again, which I just did about a week ago, um, like I said, I, I do think it could have been 10 minutes shorter. I think it might've been a little tighter, mm -hmm. but but the, the funny thing is that the payoff comes so late and, mm -hmm. the, and the payoff, I, I believe the payoff is that shot of him in the submarine with everyone with him <laughs> because- yeah. It's not just everyone. It's the woman who's rejected him, who his right. son stole. Um, right. It's his arch nemesis. It's everybody who said they wanted to mutiny. Like everybody is crammed in right. that little tiny thing. And not only are they crammed, but they're like, you know, they're <laughs> yeah. right up there. <laughs> up I in mean, the shot. Yeah. Yeah. They're in the shot. And then the music, the music, as as much as the, uh, the flamenco guy, David Bowie yeah. song, just freaking like beyond genius to do that but the music is much more devo and Marth, mark mark mothersbaugh and and it, that music is so great for that underwater yeah it kind of sounds like uh kind of sounds like a you know uh, a teenage whale you know right. on a beatbox or something underwater. <laughs> well i was reading too that um he actually hired henry selick um to do the stop motion on this which henry selick was the director of nightmare um the nightmare before christmas so like the little like the the sugar crabs and then of course the jaguar shark at the end um they said that was really hard to do the jaguar shark though because it was such a long puppet that they had to shoot in stop motion but yeah it worked yeah. out pretty good yeah that no that makes sense um are you so are you ready for the final question or yeah, yeah. Let's, let's go yeah. ahead the final question and this is not who is your favorite this is if you, if you had to be a crew member on the Belafonte, who would you be? Oh man. Um, hmm. Like there, it's leaving in two days. You, you've been right. bag packed. You, you actually are going to replace someone. Hmm. And you, and when you, you, when you walk on the Belafonte, you're going to touch that person on the shoulder. And you're not going to say any words to them. You're just going to touch them on the shoulder and they're going to, they're going to leave. And you are their person. 
Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal it first. I I would love to be Sue Jorge, um, the guy, <laughs> the, the the Portuguese guy doing the the singing the whole time and just. <laughs> I mean, he's such a cool character aside from the music and the fact yeah. that, you know, and just there's a lot going on with him. Like Jeremy, we we're talking earlier how, um, you know, he gets shot. I mean, there's just a lot going on with these characters in the background that you really got to watch to see yeah. because it's not necessarily addressed in it's a foreground not. way, you know? It's like one sentence and then like the next scene, like it moves on. For me, um, it's got, I think I got to go with Vikram. Just because he's got the camera like <laughs> yeah. all the time. And I love where like uh, Bill Murray is always like, hey, did you get any of this? He's like, yeah, I was filming until they covered my head when the pirates are like <laughs> jacking the ship. Right. And then like when he's running, like he's got the camera all the time. And yeah. so or like when Bill Murray falls down the stairs and he's like, Vikram, did you get that? And he's like, yeah, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> he's so committed. Like he just he's 100 percent in all the time. Like he's all business all the time. Right. It's awesome. Yeah, he's right. even filming when Bill Murray's uh, yelling at Owen Wilson. He's like, I'm going to break that camera. It's like the one time that he doesn't want it on camera. Right. Um, <laughs> what about you, Alden? Yeah. Um, shoot, I thought of the question, but I didn't even think of my answer. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like there's a, well, no, I guess I would have to go with Owen. I'd have to go with Owen Wilson with, um, yeah. you know, the this the dilemma of, of trying to figure out if this guy is your dad or not. And even though you know he probably is, but maybe there's a mystery. Like, I think that's an interesting, that's just an interesting thing that we don't see in a lot of movies because they usually would would probably take it too seriously. Mm -hmm. And right. so then the, the writer would think, well, I have to have a, a legitimate answer. But Wes Anderson knows, um, and we can talk about the Noah Baumbach part of it too, that they wrote it together, but they, he, he knows that he doesn't necessarily need the most satisfying answer. No. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Noah. We can do one of his movies later, but he... Um, yeah. I've only him. seen two of his movies. I've seen The Squid and the Whale and then Margot in the Wedding. Okay. Uh, yeah, I never saw Kicking and Screaming. And I need to rewatch them, honestly, because I didn't get it when I was watching it. I didn't get that it was an indie film. I, yeah. I like his earlier and... stuff up yeah. until... Uh, the one he did with... Um, uh, Adam Driver and um, yeah. Ben Stiller, where he's yeah. the screenwriter or whatever. Was it screenwriter or? Yeah, was it called the the way we were? Something like yeah, I think that's yeah. what it was. Something like um, that. I really only liked it up his work up through there. I didn't really care for his. Uh, well, I haven't seen the Wedding Story one or his, the new one that was on Netflix. I don't. I don't know. All I've heard from people is that it really is very real life, and I'm like, I don't. It's hard to watch that. Are you talking about yeah. marriage story? Marriage story. No, yeah. it, it's a little hard to watch. I actually had to, I, you know, I grew up in a divorced home. I, I, I couldn't, I actually couldn't watch when they were arguing. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was too real. It was honestly, right. It was just... and, and maybe that's the genius of him, but I did love, I loved his earlier stuff for sure. Um, I was did really. You, so did you, have you seen kicking and screaming? Ah, that's the one I can't remember for some reason. Like I, I know the, the title, I know the, the premise and everything. I just can't remember. Okay. Um, it was because when his, when I saw squid and the whale, I went nuts and tried to watch like everything I could find from him. So I think I kind of binged hard and yeah, might've blurred it, over. Kicking and screaming gets overlooked by so many people, but, and you know, the, it, it's got a lot of language, a lot of F-bombs, but it's, um, there's two things that it does amazingly. It captures the feeling of 
the first year after you graduate from college and what the hell are you supposed to do with your life? Right. It captures that great. And it's just amazing dialogue. It just, it's like a dialogue study. Like I could, if I were teaching a, a screenwriting class, you could do a whole week or a whole two, three weeks just on the dialogue of kicking and screaming. Um, wow. It's just so sharp. It's so sharp and witty and, and like aware of itself. Like it's just, so there's a couple lines that, that I think would not have been in there if not for Noah, because Noah Baumbach is not, he's not our most amazing directors. Um, right. But, but what he is, is he, he's a good character study with, with, with a limited number of characters and, and he's crazy good with dialogue. And right. you notice that when, when Steve Zissou, um, you know, confronts uh, Ned uh, in bed <laughs> with, oh, <yeah. laughs> with, with Kate Blanchett and, right. he, and he says to Kate, you know, I told you there was no, no being in other people's rooms, number one. <laughs> but, but then he says, uh, he says, what the F? So he uses he uses Kate Blanchett's words on her right by not okay. swearing in front of her unborn child. Right. Yeah, and so like yeah. little, little things like the, those little things are really subtle. And I'm not saying that yeah. Wes isn't capable of that, but Wes Wes is more concerned with usually with you know the bigger picture, and Noah I is agree. concerned with this small little details. And I believe that's that's a Noah. I believe that's a Noah Baumbachism that we saw there, like in that. Um, I agree completely because when you watch Fantastic Mr. Fox, um, also I love that movie. The yeah. dial, of course, everybody, it's, it can be distracting maybe because the stop motion is so wonderful and beautiful in that movie, but the the dialogue is so sharp and witty and quick. Yeah. Or even even when it's slow, it's still the pacing is amazing on that. And I, that's got to be like you said, a, a Baumbach thing that he brings to the did table he, did, did Baumbach write help write that too yeah he, oh okay yep so, yeah so he yeah. he co-wrote that one as well I just uh, that one and, and Steve's issue I did not know that yeah the Fantastic Mr. Fox is actually that's my favorite movie that Wes Anderson's done I just oh really that, that's yeah. your favorite Wes Anderson movie yeah it hands down I mean I grew up listening to that Davy Crockett song so soon I was like oh I <laughs> yeah. haven't heard this since the 1960s Disney movies <laughs> but uh, anyways I could that's a whole other movie we could, we'll jump into sometime but right, this Noah, was the Noah, yeah uh, sorry real quick Noah Baumbach is in the movie I don't know if you saw him I don't know what he looks like so who who yeah. was he so he he's got and I I when I rewatched it a couple weeks or a week ago I I recognized him um, in the very in the beginning when uh, well the semi beginning when Ned loans him the money and they go to and they go to the accountant to pitch him. There's a little nerdy guy sitting in the back, standing in the back with like a clipboard or a, a right. calculator. Yeah, and then, like his assistant. That's Noah Baumbach. He's a uh, okay. Old, He's like a five foot two kind of skinny looking guy. He's just a small kind of a nerdy guy. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, the other, the other, just real quick, the other one that I noticed that might've been bombed back, maybe it's not, but um, when, when they get to the island, uh, Porta, Porta Patois, Porta Patois, and he confronts uh, Angelica Houston and at the door and he says, well, I was just hoping to have a good career and then go into hope out in a, or go out in a flash of blazes. You know, right. like, yeah. that's the phrase wrong. 
I was yeah. like, you know what? That kind of felt like it could have been a little bit of a higher level Noah Bombag. I don't know. Yeah, oh, that's funny. I love the well, line though too when he's talking to her. He's like, uh, can I I was gonna butter you up and then I was gonna ask for something. <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah. he's like, no. And he's like, Well, can I still butter you up a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's so good. That I'm yeah, who knows? That could have been the, one of them or both of them too. <laughs> I do. Yeah, you're right. That I I need. I'm gonna go rewatch a lot of the Wes Anderson's other films, but this was the first one I believe that Owen Wilson did not co-write with him because Owen Wilson's career was taking off, and so he wasn't available to help write the screenplay, which is why he worked with Noah on this one, I believe. Oh, Interesting. Okay. So yeah. so Owen so Owen did help write the other ones. That's what I was researching. Yeah. Huh. That he was because I know for sure he did Bottle Rocket because Owen Wilson and him wrote right. that together. Well, they well, went to school true. together. Well, yeah, that that was more of like their Goodwill Hunting, um, right? You know, um, but I don't know if he I don't know if he did the well. That's a, yeah, who knows? Now I got to look it up. Yeah, I might be there, spreading spreading rumors over here. <laughs> there was there was one moment that I and I guess this is a I'm just you know I, I just expose myself as a total Wes Anderson nerd. There was one moment that i was like straight out of bottle rocket when um when owen wilson is in his room and and he already knows that he's uh you know there's conflict with with bill murray but then that little that little letter a letter from kate blanchett comes under oh the yeah door. slides under oh yeah. yeah and he just and he just kind of points at it like yeah. <laughs> that's a bottle rocket yeah that's a bottle rocket like uh acting technique for or like a, i think it's just a mental you know it's a memory it's a mental memory thing for owen wilson to just go you know point at it before even speaking you know? <laughs> right yeah and yeah but it that, is true owen wilson did help write rushmore and the royal tenant bombs wow and so That's yeah this, this is the first one where wes anderson had a different writing which i agree with you alden i think this movie could have been a little bit tighter um I, and i actually think that the plot isn't that good in this movie, but the, that the 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 ever, the way everything looks and how it's edited together, I think, way overshadows it. But uh, but then again, I, I kind of take that back because Bill Murray is kind of a douchebag in this movie. But that's the whole point of his character is that right at the end, he's talking about being a showboat and kind of a jerk. Right. I love how he owns it. But I feel like as I was watching the movie, too, it's like I feel like this is like I feel like Bill Murray is the quintessential uh Wes Anderson like actor like this is this is who the type of like humor he writes around this is the type of person that can deliver the performances that he's looking for and it was like it was all his movie I mean it was yeah it was a this is a Bill Murray movie and I don't I only I kind of forgot about that or wouldn't really even think about it that way because all the supporting cast is so stacked there it's so good but I mean this it's all him and all the other movies that he's in he's a side character or like Rushmore it's you know kind of a 50 50 split there a little bit yeah wes anderson wrote this story with him in mind like he so he was the first person that he asked just like um he wrote the character for gene hackman inside the royal tenenbaums right right um which that didn't turn out so well <laughs> but thankfully this one did and as you can see yeah bill murray's and a lot of his other i think what, Jason what do you mean it didn't turn out so well you you didn't like him as well as as you thought you were going to in Royal no, Tenenbaums? No, apparently Gene Hackman like didn't like the story and he just took it for the money and then he was a douche the entire time they were filming filming the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, and wow. so he was really hard to work with apparently on purpose because he just did not like 
the job. So that's why he's not in any of the other movies is because yeah. Wes Anderson's like, yeah, I'm not going to work with him again, which I mean, that's got to suck if you really right. ad- admire somebody's work and then you want them to work with you. And then they just, they're just really hard to work with on purpose just because they just don't like your stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it goes both ways. It's, it's tough, but then again, you can't, if you believe in your story, you can't tweak your story for every actor. That's true. Right. So, you yeah. got to kind of, st- you know, you got to know that if you're going to do this over the course of a lifetime and you're going to end up with, I don't know, you know, five or 10 films or 15, whatever. But I mean, the average, the, the writer director people usually end up with less films, but let's sure. say you're going to end up with between seven and 12 films over the course of your life. I think Tarantino's at nine or 10. He's um, at, I think he's at nine because he said he wanted to quit at 10 or something like that. Right. That's right. Um, so I th- you know you know you're gonna have some some that are more hits and more misses. Um, That's yeah, a good we, point. Tenenbaums is a different if it's a different thing. I for some reason I still think Rushmore. I just there's something about it that's so fresh and so tight the way it's edited that I just I just love it. I just yeah. I just watch it. It's it's the midnight watch. I I could watch Rushmore <laughs> like I sure. can. You know, I, I just, whereas the like Life Aquatic, I love it for all the reasons we've been talking about, but I yeah. do feel like when I watch it, I, I want to, I want to watch it knowing that I'm going on a journey mm. and I, and I want to go on that journey and that's why I want to rewatch it. Whereas Rushmore, that's just something about those, the tension between Schwartzman and Bill right. Murray. Right. It's, it's so, it's so fresh. And Bill Murray just always appears to be just so disinterested with his <laughs> with his money and his fame. Right. He just doesn't care. So yeah, if you want to learn a little bit, sure, kid, I'll share with you. But I don't really give a rat, <laughs> you know. And I got these, and I got these redheaded twins. They're a couple of idiots, right? I, like, and my ex-wife, I don't care. Yeah, I'll sign off. And then at the end, he's got like a little bit of an. You know, he's a little bit impressed with right with, with Max, and that's just it's like it's just a little bit at the end, but right. I don't know. It's uh, yeah. I, I just I love Rushmore so much. I think I still think Rushmore is my favorite Wes Anderson. Yeah, and a, I think that's it's solid. I feel like Wes Anderson is just that kind of director where you could. I mean, there's three Wes Anderson fans here, and we're gonna pick three different movies that are our favorite of his. I think. Yeah, what's yours? Um, this one. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 You said that earlier. Yeah. yeah. I, I just and I love I really, really, really like a lot of his other movies. I mean, I don't I, I don't dislike any of them, but yeah, this one is just between the music and everything else, the way it and I think that's where even when when like you guys said, the movie's getting a little long in the tooth at times and are dragging a little bit, the music or something will kind of capture me and like make me forget that yeah, this this shouldn't be happening right now. This is running a little long or you know. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, no, I could, I, I could totally understand that. Why, um, that that that's what puts this over the top for you. Yeah, is, is the music and the complete, the the complete effort that it took and that was right. Cool. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And I, I like what you said, Alden, about how Rushmore. There's like that little glimpse of humanity or or something from Bill Murray at the end of the movie. There's like a little bit of a here's a little nugget of truth to the story or the, the moral of the story. And I think a lot of his movies have that where maybe the greater picture is unresolved, like the whole 
Ned finding, you know, oh, you're not really my father. Well, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't know that before he dies necessarily, yeah. but that's just kind of comes out. It's like, eh, it's not a perfect way to wrap that up. But then you do get that little nugget of Bill Murray, you know, realizing, you know, Steve's issue, realizing that, yeah, I am a jerk. I am a douchebag. And then also just coming to grips with, you know, he's struggling with his identity and who he used to be and he's not that anymore. And it's just, you know, I think guys in general really struggle with that. And who am I? And will people remember me? And I've made, have I made an impact? And so there's like a little bit of that that kind of wraps up even like when they're in the submarine and he's kind of crying and he has these people like supporting him, even the people that he despised or backstabbed him. And right. Everybody, know? everybody puts their hand on him. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's that little tiny like wrap up of like, Oh wow. He, he, he got something here, you know? Out of all yeah. the craziness, well, he got that oh. human connection. I think it was just something that right. he lost for a while in the in the the yeah. Well, like anytime they bring up Esteban, he's like ready to fight somebody, and I think that's just because <laughs> right. it's. I think it's just because it's that's the one thing that actually gets to him above everything else, which is right. Pretty interesting. Yeah. So um, yeah, well, I think it's about time to to wrap it up. So we got final thoughts before we go into our rankings. Uh, let's see. Oh, I have one little thing I was going to throw out there. I love how Wes in his movies, they kind of go along at this, this pace where it's kind of kind of whimsical or eccentric and it's kind of la la la. It's funny, or that's a really cool shot. And then a lot of the times there's, it's just like, bang, there's some either violence that just kind of explodes or something really dark or morbid that just kind of happens. Something yeah. shocking that kind of like, puts you back into like oh wait what's 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 going on in this movie like you don't get lulled into just kind of following along i mean it's just it's and it's not always the same thing like this one you had you know the pirates attacking them and then when they rescue the the bond stooge where you know the right. violence is just really loud and frenetic and then um or even with ned dying at the end where you're just like it's going so well and then it's just like whoa, whoa he's he died what right um and there's just other um even like in uh fantastic mr fox where like um i think it was like christopherson loses his tail yeah one of them but you're you're kind of like well that's kind of violent like right know, for this fun movie like, for kids you're like dang that's but there's just certain things that'll happen in his movies where you're just kind of it's, it's almost like a shock value to like snap you out of a malaise or something or yeah, I, I would agree. I, I when I, I mean, when I saw this in the movie, I, I saw it like I said with my film friend who was already, you know, he had talked it up so much. It it was almost like Wes would have had to make the worst movie ever for my friend to hate it. Like it was already <laughs> going to be loved, and right? We all, right. And, and we all knew that going in, but but I remember thinking, man, I like this. It's a little, as I said, it's a little slower. But what saved it was the island. The island scene for oh, me. Yes, yeah, hundred percent. And that, and and because because then we're we're not just on a boat. And then when he when he <laughs> when he sees it, when he's when he's, <laughs> I think one of the best lines is when Jeff Goldblum, after he sees he's going to get rescued and there's a firefight, he just goes, "I'll fold." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> puts I mean, cards he, down. <laughs> he puts his cards down. Um, yeah, but I think that whole sequence. Be, partly because because it includes um, uh, Willem Dafoe, you know, you're on A Team now, right? You know, right. It, it, like everybody gets their their arc like completed. Yes. And that, what that allows for is it allows for 
we're all together to get the Jaguar shark. Like we've got yeah. all of our issues out. Right. You know? Right. So when Angelica Houston, like just touches his shoulder uh, during the searching for the shark, like Jeff Goldblum is, you know, things stole from him. It doesn't matter. Like everybody's there together because, because those things have already been shed before right. we get to that so that we get to just enjoy the discovery of the shark as Steve Zissou. Right. Not, we're not thinking about the other issues. Right. Um, and then the other, the last thing I would say is that I love, um, that might be my favorite line where he falls, that <laughs> the other one might be um, where the, the bond company stooge, he's mm -hmm. so sick of it and he's been kidnapped <laughs> and, and Jeff Goldblum asks him and he just says, yeah, right. he Is stole that, it, of course. Right. Uh, Isn't that my cappuccino <laughs> machine? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that. I was like, that's my favorite line. He's like, he's like, what do you think happened? We effing stole it. We effing yeah. stole it. <laughs> yeah. Because he's yeah. so serious the rest of the movie. Right. Yeah. Well, and, like, he, and, it, and again, it's all about, it's all about the, the realization that if you're going to be this guy out in the ocean, you got to be a little bit resourceful and that right. taking whatever you can get. <laughs> <laughs> wherever you can find it because right. you don't know if you're going to find another espresso machine. Right. right. Like you don't know that. So, right. so this one's here. You know what? It's not being used. Eh, right. We're going to take it. We'll right. right. back later. We're on the ocean. <laughs> like that's just a reality. And the, when the bond company stooge, when he gets, when he take, when he agrees with Zisu on that moment, you, you don't really realize it, but you kind of give a subconscious, like, like a, a relief, like, oh, everyone understands this is the kind of craziness that you have right. to accept. Yeah, right. If you're going to lead a journey to find the stupid Jaguars, right, you better accept that you might have to steal some guy's espresso machine. Right. Right. Yeah. It was like an ultimate bonding moment, too. It was amazing. And then right after that, when, when Jeff Goldblum pulls him aside and he's like, hey, He's all, we were terrible husbands, <laughs> you know, and it's just, just, it's just the acknowledgement and just the, that bonding that happened out of that super chaotic, you know, experience. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. I agree with you all about like the Island movie. I think it, cause before that I felt like it was kind of floundering cause like I was enjoying it, but it's like, where's this movie going? And then with that, they had like a definite, like all of a sudden there's an arc right here. And then that did end some of the other people's arcs. Yeah. So yeah. that makes sense. So, Josh, any final thoughts? Uh, just, uh, man, the the end sequence, once, uh, you know, everybody walks out of the theater and he takes Klaus's nephew, puts him on his shoulders, and they walk away, and the, the song kicks in. Oh, I didn't um, get it. I did not realize that was Klaus's nephew. I thought there was some random kid. So, Well, no, because he introduced him at the beginning of the movie during the, I, the, the premiere at the beginning. Yeah, that makes it a lot less creepy. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, not a random... <laughs> Not a random kid he just grabbed and threw on his shoulder. <laughs> well, I mean, the kid walked over to him. I was thinking, how did that kid get over there? Okay, I got you. But it was it's just such a classic throwback way that everyone's just kind of marching to the music in a very like overstated, <laughs> kind well, of overacted way. Actually, that they actually did that in as an homage to um the adventures of Buckaroo Bonze across the eighth dimension. Like that's how that uh, movie ends, which oh, Jeff Goldblum right. was in that movie too. Yeah, that's cool. That's that's right. That's right. Yeah. That, yeah. Oh, that's they, funny. I totally forgot. There's a lot of movies that pay an homage to that that specific film, which is which is funny. Like I realized I was like, I haven't seen that movie actually. Like I need to watch it because it's just one of those right. 
crazy weird 80s if movies that it's like if you're in the film you you've heard of it you know right. what it is but whether or not you've seen it or not but anyways i love how that song kicks in and then how it immediately as soon as it finishes there's the reprise of sue jorge doing it but just sitting on the stage just playing his his classical oh, guitar and it's just it's yeah. so it was cool already and then it just got cooler with that and then just the way he yeah, just no. walks out and flips the chair around it's just super classy and it's just yeah. and it yeah. plays all the way through the credits which um, I feel like at the time you didn't see that as often to where you, there'd be something going on maybe during the entire credits uh, right. of a movie. Yeah, uh, It seemed like it was kind of a rare thing to have. I mean, you were, it was entertaining all the way to the very, till the screen went black. Right. Yeah. yeah well, now, they, now they do all kinds of things during the credits, but yeah, you know, mm-hmm. you're right. Yeah. Well, that was also the stage, the first shot of the movie. So like, um, you yeah. got this. You got this nice coming out on the stage, and then that's kind of like somebody's playing music as the auditorium is emptying out. So it right. made sense. So um, yeah, first, uh, first thing right here, we're gonna talk about like, do we think that uh, we'll say? So Josh, do you think that this hit its mark when it came out? Uh, I guess unfortunately, no. Um, from what I was looking at, so just from my circle of friends, and I guess it's just you know movie nerd people. Um, I thought it was pretty well received and i guess it was just wes anderson fans i was talking to in general <laughs> um but i guess and i'm probably ranking it too high but it's it was probably a c at best back then i mean i know mm. monetarily it was a, it was a bomb but mm. i don't know okay i guess uh, it, it, to me as i saw it i thought it was great so tempering that was apparently it flopped i would give yeah. it a c when it came out but i did read that the critics even were split on it they're just kind of like there, like, I guess on Rotten Tomatoes, actually, there's not a critic uh, consensus because, like, there wasn't enough agreement on one way or another on this movie. Right. Yeah, it's like 50%. Yeah. You're yeah. Right. What do you think, Alden? That, that makes sense. Well, I mean, I remember, I remember, but like I said, by that time, you knew that, that Wes Anderson fans were going to see Wes Anderson movies, I think. Right. right. So I think that any critic, any critics, at the time, I don't remember exactly, but I feel like Wes Anderson fans would dismiss them as, well, you don't get Wes Anderson. So right. that's fine because- <laughs> You missed the point. Yeah, you're, if, you're, if you're looking for like a you know, fast paced movie, you, you came to the wrong thing. Um, and then I think if they were honest with themselves, like we've said, they would say, well, maybe it could have been tighter in some spots, but like you said, we, like, I think it is easy to be torn. I do still feel torn on this one because the, like we've said, the the music, the visuals, the characters, they're all so great. Yeah. I think, I think we just wanted to have a movie with zero letdowns. Right. Yeah. And, and the only letdowns is just that, yeah, you know, maybe the story at times could have been a little tighter. Maybe, Maybe Bill Murray just wasn't that excited in the first two weeks of shooting. I don't know. Right. I don't know. I mean, he just, I do feel, especially after rewatching it this last week, I feel that Bill Murray, the first, you know, 30, 40 minutes, doesn't look excited to be in the movie. Whereas once Jeff Goldblum comes on the screen, I, I don't know. I, I, like I said, I don't know if it was planned or unplanned, but it just, feels like there's there's the right amount of fun tension yeah about 40 minutes in that that carries on to the rest of the movie or maybe it's an hour in. i don't know it's a long movie yeah. but 
I just feel yeah. like the first 30, 40 minutes, you know, it is, it's fun seeing the ship, the cutaways, the music, the colors. But then like Josh, like you said, you're like, well, okay, where are we, or where are we going? Or Jeremy, you said like, where are we going? And yeah. I think maybe, maybe it just took a little too long saying where they were going. Right. To know. get there. Yeah, it could be. And that's, and that's why, like I said earlier, it's like, it's definitely not his best movie. Yeah. Um, when you look at his body of work, but yeah, it's, uh, anyways, so what would you give it as a, a letter, letter grade? Oh, letter grade. Oh, definitely. For, for, uh, I would for, give rele- a, for a relevance, for, uh, when it came out relevance, when it released, when it, when it came out, I do, re- I do remember liking it, but I remember walking out thinking I wanted to like it more than I actually liked it. Mm. Okay. So, like I said, I, I, there are different parts of it. They're very memorable. The, the characters are great. Willem Dafoe is such a unique role yeah. for him because he's yeah, right. such a crazy, weird guy in his movies that to play a sensitive guy is interesting. But right. um, I, would, I would give it a solid B minus. I would give it overall. a solid B minus. Overall. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, for me, I think when it, it's uh, it first coming out, I think I got to give it a D just because. Wow. Uh, yeah. The reason I'm saying that is like 30, a $50 million budget, not including um, advertisement. And then it only made 34 million back. So it lost money. Like that's a, it's not a huge box office bomb as in like 300 million and it only made 150 million, but it failed. And so I do think that this movie, um, this goes right into my, my next thing. So I want to give it a D. And so the next question as far is as re- relevancy when it released, when it was released, I think I want to give it a D because I feel like it was the type of, like you were saying, the sophomore curse sort of thing where he got a bigger budget and he might've gone for something and then it just right. didn't quite hit it. And I, that resonates with me. What you said about, I don't want to find flaws with this movie. I want, I really want to like this movie a hundred percent. But there are flaws there. And for, so for, I can do my, my letter grades for, is it still relevant today? I think definitely it has moved up dramatically. I'm going to give it a B for relevance because it is such a unique Wes Anderson film. And not, not, also in his career, I think him coming up and then that kind of helped stabilize him. And he's been able to do other stuff now. I feel like he, maybe he found himself more in that on how he likes to do movies from now, from then on. But yeah. so I'd give it a B for relevancy for today because anybody who likes a Wes Anderson movie clearly knows this movie. So, right. Um, and, and anybody who likes indie films in general, this is a big budget indie film. Right. Yeah, I would. And I agree. I, I also had written down, I give it a B for relevance today because I know cult, just cult following wise, it really gained speed from, from whenever released till now. I think people kind of figure, especially that I should say the non Wes Anderson fans. Right. I think maybe maybe slowly figured out, oh, this is what this is. And maybe they went back and watched some of his other stuff or saw some of his newer stuff and then went back and then kind of got it. But it has more of a cult following now than it did. So, yeah, I think it'd be I think that for it, relevancy today. I think it's easier yeah. to get into, though, also than like the Tenenbaums or um, even like Rushmore Bottle Rocket, just basically based off of looks alone. Like you see pictures from this and you're like, what is that? I might want to watch that. So I think it's easier sure. to kind of get into some of his other movies, even though uh, we all agree it's not his best film. But yeah, so. that's true. I would do you. So do you do this every time where you you ask the grade when it came out in the grade now? Or yeah, yeah. So we do the we do like did it hit its mark when it first came out? Like I like to use the example of Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Blade Runner 
uh, bombed when it came out. Everybody hated it, apparently. And now it's considered like one of the greatest sci-fi movies ever made. So when it came out, it was it totally missed its mark. But is it relevant today? It's like 100 percent. Like it's one of those movies that you looked at as like a turning point in sci-fi uh, movies. So that that's why I wanted to have split things instead of overall. So we go. Um, so what we do is we do uh, did it hit its mark when it first came out? Is it relevant today? And then personal enjoyment, like what? How did you personally enjoy it? And then the fourth one, is it a midnight watch? So, okay, um, so yeah. So the so I would I would say, did it hit its mark when it came out? I have to say yes and no because I have to say it did not hit its mark, but it did hit its mark for Wes Anderson fans. Right. Uh-huh. And yeah. That's why I gave it. A, that's why I gave it a C because I feel yeah. like it's a it was a passing grade. Yeah. Because it made <laughs> this camp pretty happy, even though it no one else really I mean, got it yeah i mean i mean if you I, I feel like i feel like porsche fans are very similar if you <laughs> there's a lot of porsche vehicles that have come out that would say you know did the mainstream connect with the porsche 914 or the 944 and you would say maybe no but did porsche fans appreciate them and you would have to say yes so yeah i would i would say definitely it did not hit its mark for the general public right but, in, but relevance today i would put it at an i would have to maybe i'm just a, a nicer i don't know i would put it at an a minus for relevance today yeah cool. because 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 of all the stars that are in it right and and the 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 genius of using david bowie songs in portuguese like there's just there's yeah. too much there's too much going on to give it a less than a pretty darn good grade after retrospect, I think. I I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think it is a type of landmark film to a certain extent where it just kind of goes to show you can do all this amazing stuff, weird stuff. I love the, like the retro future stuff that he goes where it's modern day, but a lot of the tech that he uses retro and all that. (laughs) I just love all of that stuff. Super retro. Right. Um, I agree. So let's move on to yeah, yeah, personal enjoyment. I would say personal enjoyment. Um, Alden, let's go with you first. I would. Do it's, I give it a letter grade or just say yes? Yeah. Uh, letter, letter grade. grade. Yeah. Oh, letter grade. Uh, personal enjoyment. I'm still sticking with like a like a B plus. B like plus. B. Yeah. That I, I got to say, I'm yeah, I'm giving it a, a B. Um, I I enjoy it for sure. There's different parts. I don't enjoy it all the way through. Um, there's different. I love so much of it. But as an overall, I don't enjoy it all the way through. But there's just so much in it that I really thoroughly enjoy. So I got to give it a B. Nice. Um, Josh. Well, it's probably, it's probably no surprise being my favorite <laughs> Wes Anderson. It is an A for me. Oh, okay. <laughs> there we Double A. Yeah. Shocker. Shocker. I know. <laughs> all okay. right. And um, how about Midnight Watches? Um, uh, Alden, is it a Midnight Watch? Oh, I mean, can I give it a caveat of it's a midnight? It's a, so it's a midnight watch if I if I hit it at halfway or later. So we so Jeremy, tell so, Jeremy. I, so this kind of became a thing where Josh would say the same thing. He was like, "It's a midnight all watch." Sorts of movies. He's like, "It's a midnight watch for me because if I saw this one scene, I would watch this one scene." And I was like, "That's not a midnight watch." So we call that a midnight Josh, where you wouldn't watch the whole film; you just like parts of it. So. Yeah, that sounds like a Midnight Josh film for you. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, if Wes Anderson is listening on the off chance, I'm gonna, (laughs) I'm I'm sorry, 
but I'm going to say it's not a midnight watch. Not a yeah. It's as much, I, as, as, much as I love it. Right. It's sure. not a midnight watch. And, and that's, that's what we're looking for. We want that honest, straight answer. It's got to be 100% in or out. So, yeah, right. that's good. And that's why I like um, – So also, too, like there's some movies that aren't my favorite movies, but they are midnight watches because they're just so dang interesting to watch. So, like, if it's on – I think I rated Kung Fu Hustle as a midnight watch because it's just <laughs> – it's, it grabs my attention and it's not necessarily one of my top five, but it's like, I can't right. stop watching it if it's on. So Josh, I think you already answered this earlier, but is it a midnight watch? Yes. This is a solid midnight watch for me. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. That, I think and, this is good. We actually had a, well, what was yours? Spit a what about you? Well, me? Oh, it's not yeah. a midnight watch. Okay. Got yeah. It. It's okay. just, there's not a, there's a couple parts that throughout the movie where I just kind of start to lose interest. And then somebody says something witty or something entertaining happens or, you know, and honestly, right. I feel like uh, Sue Jorge saves a lot of the transitions in the scenes because yes. he's incredibly used in this movie a lot. Like I think he uses things like 15 different songs. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I love all of them. Like they're all fantastic. But if you take him out of it, then like, there's, I think, some gaps in this movie. So for me, so let's just, you know, to wrap, what's, what's, do everyone go around and give one Wes Anderson movie that is a midnight watch? Oh, me, hands down, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Okay. Yeah. Josh, I mean, you said Life Aquatic. Is there another? I one? did. Well, um, I mean, yeah, I would say that with Fantastic Mr. Fox too. Um, that one, I like it the more, more every time I watch it, I think. Right. I love <laughs> I just, stop motion animation. But Jeremy and I have talked before. Too. Yeah, I, we both really love stop motion. Like, that's one of our favorite um, animated art forms. Right. Um, I will try I, to. Again, I think I got to go back to Rushmore, man. If that, <laughs> thing on, if that thing is on, I will watch it. I don't. There's something about there's something about Jason Schwartzman that is so. He He's wants, amazing. I he think he would have made Rushmore so bad that he'll just he'll do anything. And and then the fact that Bill Murray is his best friend. Right. Is just so great. It's just. Right. Uh, but but again, I, I think that when, when he lets out the bees in the elevator and, and, the, <laughs> like, and Bill Murray, even though Bill Murray realizes he's getting screwed, he still appreciates that. He yes. Got He's stuck. Yes. Like, I feel like um, I feel like that's where I first started to notice that film technique that Anderson does. And uh, yeah, I think for me, Rushmore is a midnight watch. Mm, Absolutely. I, I do feel like Schwartzman's kind of untouchable. Like he's just good oh, in sure. everything. And he plays the go ahead. I was gonna say, I think if there was one thing that would would made life aquatic even better was if Schwartzman would have been in it as a as you know a major <laughs> but, character because he's he's phenomenal right but I don't know where he would fit because I I don't I know either Owen I just Wilson... love him so much I would just love to see him in there I don't know where though <laughs> right well like Owen Wilson plays a character I feel like is very unlike Owen Wilson inside Life Aquatic it's the first movie where he plays it super straight he's not goofy at all yeah and um, I like that a lot so any, anyways uh, thank you Alden for being on the show this time yeah. like sincerely sure. appreciate it got to do this again oh, um also alden you uh for anyone out there who doesn't know you j your book finally came out that you had been uh working yes. on i think we talked about it on the last episode we did with yeah. you back in february yes um give us yeah there we go oh, virus yes. ate my movie it's called yeah it's called uh virus ate my movie and we all can i think 
you know, resonate with what happened in 2020. And a lot of things got put on hold. Um, I had a, a documentary about a BMX company that I used to run and everything was looking good. And I had a major theater showings actually set up and not, they weren't even charging me to rent the theaters. They were going to wow. give me a 50-50 box office split in wow. Santa Monica, North Hollywood, Pasadena. There was a, a beer that got created with a um, with my logo on it. I mean, wow. it, was, it was rolling. And then um, I showed it on March 9th at a brewery in Livermore, California. Oh, wow. And I signed autographs on kids' hats. And then you know what happened on March 17th. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And the world ended. And everyone said, all the theaters said, well, we're not canceling. We're just postponing, but we know what happened. So anyway, I made a, a book about making a low budget film and um, and starting a BMX bike company. And it's it's on Amazon. That's awesome. I definitely awesome. want to read that. That sounds extremely entertaining. And then um, we're about out of time, but you said you're working on a documentary now. Yeah, we're wrapping up a, a documentary on uh, my dad's wheelchair nature trail uh, in Nevada City, which is about an hour an hour and 15 minutes from Sacramento in between Sacramento and Lake Tahoe in Northern California. My dad utilized the old gold mining water ditches that were used to, for hydraulic gold mining. Yeah. Um, when they were abandoned after World War II, all the gold mines shut down. My dad found them in the seventies and had met a woman in a wheelchair who asked him, if you ever find a level trail in the wilderness that I can use with my wheelchair, you got to let me know. And these water ditches are a very, you know, even grade, they're about five feet wide. And as soon as my dad saw this land that included these ditches, he realized he had found that woman's dream. And he spent the next 10 years of his life developing it into what is now called the Independence Trail. And um, it's within the South Yuma River State Park. So it's called, the movie is called A Wild Independence. And we are entering into the Wild and Scenic Film Festival. Tomorrow at noon is the deadline. Oh, and sweet. the editor is wow. editing right now. You want to talk about a midnight watch? Let's talk about a midnight edit. <laughs> we got an extension from the local film festival and the extension on the extension ends tomorrow at noon. Oh, so, wow. Um, so this is called the Wild and Scenic Film Festival. It's, it's in January. I don't know why the deadline is way back here, but that's okay. Um, the, yeah, so it's a documentary. It's it's only about twenty seven minutes because we want to make sure it gets on PBS. Um, yeah. But the 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 flumes are are cut into the mountainside, and then anytime there's a, a creek or a canyon, they built these wooden trestles, and the wooden trestles burned a year ago in the lightning fires of oh. August 19, right. two thousand twenty. So, you know, we, I went out there with Cal Fire and with other people to film and I was telling the camera guy, like, you know, I'm, you know, em emotion is, you know, my dad's wheelchair trail is burned. Maybe I'm supposed to be more emotional, but I just wasn't because it wasn't like it was arson or something. It was just a light. Sure. I mean, right. you know what, it, it just happens. Um, right. yeah. And thankfully my dad, before he, you know, when he was building the trail in the eighties, he was filming with a, um, I don't never know how to say it. It's a, it's a French name. It's a, it's a 16 millimeter camera, uh, film camera, Buolet, whatever, Buolet, Buolet. Okay. Um, but uh, not a Bolex, but a Bolet film camera. 
And so we have amazing 16 millimeter footage oh, of, sweet. of people loading lumber. Uh, we, we found, tracked down the first guy who rolled across it on a wheelchair uh, nice. when they were testing it. He, he actually builds um, guitars um, in, the oh, Napa, cool. in the hills of Napa, California. Um, I've, so I've kept in touch with him. So, I mean, we've got crazy, crazy good footage. Um, and um, I did a little bit of acting in it. And, but we, we've, got, <laughs> we've got crazy drone footage. I mean, we just beautiful shots. So that's the, awesome. The, the nonprofit that, um, that manages the trail, the challenging part is that the trail is, is within a California state park, the South Yuba River State Park. But the most expensive portion to rebuild is actually managed by a nonprofit. Oh, wow. So they're not eligible for FEMA grants. They're not eligible oh. for all this money. So the reason for the movie is to raise 1.25 million is what they need to raise. Wow. Okay. Well, I sincerely man. hope that you hit your goal, man. Like that's a, yeah. that is totally a, a worthy goal for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks again. This was a lot of fun and uh, we got to have you on again. This is just, yeah, this is too much fun. So this was a blast. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on here. Let's do another uh, Wes Anderson in a couple months. Sounds sounds, good, man. Sounds good. It's a day. (laughs) Well, that about wraps up today's episode. If you want to check out this movie, we rented it on Amazon Prime. Special thanks to our sound producer, Jake Colvin. And if you had as much fun as we did on this episode, We'd love it if you shared it with your family, friends, enemies, or anyone that you think that would like it. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast found on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and many other platforms. Pretty much just throw our name out there. We're on pretty much anything. Also, uh, we'd love if you uh, visited our Instagram page. That's the main way that you can reach us. Also, you can uh, you can actually hashtag what's your midnight watch, or you can email us directly at the midnight watch podcast at gmail.com. Well, thanks everybody for listening. You have a fantastic week. And as always, keep up the watch. Mm-hmm.